0: All right, we're going to get into the teaching of the Word today. We have been teaching through the book of Genesis, and uh, we've gotten four weeks in so far, and so today is part five, and I think this is a vital teaching series. I believe that everything that we as followers of Jesus, everything that we believe, everything that's important to our faith, we can find the foundation of it in Genesis. And so by studying Genesis, we are going to strengthen our faith and build up the core of what we believe And so last week, we studied Noah and the flood, and and we left off with Noah coming off the boat, God making a covenant with Noah and giving the the rainbow as the sign of the covenant that he would never again destroy the earth. And so we're going to pick it up today in Genesis chapter 9 and verse 20. And what happens in the story now is that our hero, Noah, the one that we built up so much last week, falls and shows that he's imperfect. And what happens is, is that Noah now, in this new uh, life that they are living, he becomes a farmer, and he plants vineyards, he ends up growing grapes, he turns those grapes into wine, and he drinks a bunch of wine, and gets really drunk, and ends up passed out in his tent, naked for everybody to see. And those of you who have been delivered from alcoholism like I have, you know that there's drunk, and then there's pass out naked for everybody to see drunk. You know what I'm talking about? It's a different level. Noah was really drunk. And his son Ham walks in on him and sees him. And rather than honoring his dad and covering him up and and protecting his dad's name, is Ham actually goes and grabs his two brothers and says, hey, dad, the old man, he's drunk and he's naked, passed out. You guys should come see this. And he actually mocks his dad, and he shames his dad. The other two brothers, Shem and Japheth, they grab a blanket. They walk into the tent backwards so that they don't see their dad, and they cover him. The next morning, Noah wakes up. He realizes what his son Ham has done to him, and he declares a curse over Ham and Ham's family line and declares a blessing over Shem and Japheth and over their family line. Now, why is this significant? Because if we move into Genesis chapter 10, Genesis chapter 10 is what is called the table of the nations, and it's a, it's a genealogy. It is showing the family lines of the sons of Noah that are repopulating the earth. And now we had genealogies earlier in Genesis. We saw the ungodly line of Cain, and we saw the godly line of Seth, but all of those families were wiped out except for Noah. But here in chapter 10, this genealogy is more significant because everyone can trace their ethnicity and their nations back to Genesis chapter 10 in the table of nations. So if we look at verses 6 through 12 in Genesis 10, it says this, The sons of Ham were Cush and Mizraim and Put and Canaan. The sons of Cush were Seba and Havilah and Sabta and Raamah and Sabteca. And the sons of Raamah were Sheba and Dedan. Now Cush became the father of Nimrod. He became a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel. And this is where we're going to get into the story of the Tower of Babel today. Babel is also translated Babylon. So the beginning of his kingdom was Babylon and Erech and Akkad and Kalna in the land of Shinar. From that land he went forth into Assyria and built Nineveh and rehoboth ur and Kalah and Rezin between Nineveh and Kalah. That is the great city. So what we see here is from Ham's family line, which was cursed by Noah, we have this man named Nimrod who was a mighty warrior in the Lord, and he establishes both the kingdom of Babylon and the kingdom of Assyria. These become two of the most powerful empires in the ancient history of the world. And they become two empires that God would use to bring judgment upon Israel as Assyria wiped out the northern kingdom of Israel, and Babylon came later and wiped out the southern kingdom of Judah. So from Nimrod comes these two empires, and then we see in this slide, and I don't expect you to read everything on this slide, but Genesis chapter 10 goes on to talk about the lineage of Canaan, and you can see that from Canaan comes Sidon and Heth and the Jebusites and the Amorites and the Girgashites and the Hivites and the Archites and the Sinites and the Arvidites and the Temerites and the Hamathites. All of these nations are the nations that inhabited the land of Canaan. These were all the nations that God's people would have to do war with later on in order to inherit the promised land of Canaan. So because Noah made a choice to get drunk, and because Ham made a choice to mock his father and shame his father and brought a curse upon him and his family line, out of those choices came the Assyrian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, and all the nations of the land of Canaan. All of these nations caused problems for the people of God. So why is this significant? In your notes it says this, value every decision. They can have a lasting impact. Value every decision because they can have a lasting impact Every choice, now we make lots of choices every day and some of them are small choices that maybe don't have a huge impact, but even small choices when they compound can change the course of our life or impact the nature of our character. And so we need to value every decision every day because we don't know which one is gonna affect our legacy, which one is going to affect the heritage that we pass on to our kids, which choices are gonna affect the course of our life and how we end up and how we fulfill our destiny. In Christ, value every decision. Noah did amazing things for God. Through Noah, the entire human race was saved. And yet, through a terrible decision that he made, he set off thousands of years of curses and hardship upon the people of God. Value every decision. So, as we get to the end of the table of nations, we get to verse 32 of Genesis 10, and it says this. These are the families of the sons of Noah, according to their generations, by their nations, and out of these nations were separated on the earth after the flood. And so I've got a couple of slides here for you, and this is just interesting to look at how the earth was populated from the three sons of Noah. And so you can see from this slide that Japheth had seven sons, and those seven sons were scattered to begin to populate the continents of Europe and Asia. Ham had four sons, who we've been talking about here, and those sons went on to populate Southwest Asia, Northern Africa, and of course the land of Canaan, which we just talked about. And then we have Shem and his five sons ended up populating the Middle East and and became the Shemites. This next slide, I don't expect you to be able to read all of this, but you can see by the colors that the yellow are the descendants of Ham. That was the cursed family line. You can see that the, the purple were the descendants of Shem who began to uh, populate the Middle East. And then the green is the descendants of Japheth, and you can see how they moved up into Europe and over into Asia. And so uh, the nations were scattered and, and began to populate the earth. But when we get into Genesis chapter 11, it's actually a prequel. It's a short story of what happened right before the nations were scattered and before all of these families of the sons of Noah began to fill the earth. So let's pick it up in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 11. It says, Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. It came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. You hear that? The the plain in the land of Shinar. We just heard that. Shinar is where Babylon was, where Nimrod went and established Babylon. So they journeyed east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used bricks for stone and they used tar for mortar. And they said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name, otherwise we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. So what we have here is we have all of mankind using the same language and the same words. They had the common language. Nothing was disrupting their communication. And so we have a people that are in unity. They're able to communicate together, understand each other, and they are able to move forward and accomplish a task together. Is this not a good thing? Think about it. Humanity enjoyed a unity of purpose, a unity of enterprise, and a unity of language. Shouldn't this be an admirable accomplishment? Well, it's not. And we'll talk about in just a minute why it's not. Does that mean that God's against unity? No, God wants unity. But He wants a certain type of unity. Now, it says that they journeyed east, In the book of Genesis, anytime you read about people journeying or traveling to the east, this is actually symbolic of moving outside the presence of God or moving outside the blessings of God. Think about this. Adam and Eve, when they were cast out of the garden, they were cast out to the east of the garden. Cain, after he murdered his brother and refused to repent, it says he wandered east he was cast out and wandered to the east of Eden. Lot, when he separated from Abraham, went to the east. Jacob, after he had deceived his father and deceived his brother and had to flee for his life, he fled to the east. So anytime you read in the book of Genesis that they traveled eastward, that is symbolic that they are moving outside of the will of God, outside of the blessings of God, outside of the presence of God. So they traveled east to the land of Shinar. Now, in your notes, it talks about what were the two sins of mankind as they were building this Tower of Babel. Well, the first sin is rebellion. Rebellion. You see, God had commanded them to fill the earth. In Genesis 9 1, when Noah and his family walked off of the ark, God said to them, Multiply and fill the earth. Be fruitful, have kids quickly propagate the next generations, and then spread out and fill the whole earth. So God had commanded them to fill the earth, but instead, they settled. They settled in one place. It says they came to the land of Shinar, and they settled there. And here's the thing. This is fascinating. In verse 4, It says that they were actually afraid of being scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. They said, let's build this city. Let's build this tower. Let's make a name for ourselves because we're afraid of being scattered around the earth. The very thing that God had commanded them to do was the very thing that they were afraid was going to happen. And this can apply to us today. God can ask us to do some things and it can scare us. Well, That's going to move us outside of our comfort zone. That's going to move us into a place we've never been before. That's going to require something new. I'm afraid of that. And so instead of going where God told me to go, I'm just going to settle. I'm just going to sit down right here and be comfortable. I'm not going to move forward. I'm not going to do anything new. And the very thing that you're afraid of is the very thing that God has commanded you to do. And so for them to settle in the plain of Shinar was rebellion. They were rebelling against the very thing that God wanted them to do, and so they were going to settle for something less than God's best. They were going to settle for what they could build rather than for what God could do in their lives. Their second sin was pride. They wanted to make a name for themselves. And in your notes it says this, human ambition rather than divine dependence, human ambition rather than divine dependence. They didn't want to trust in God. They didn't want to put themselves in a situation where they had to depend on God. So instead, they had their own ambition. Let's make a name for ourselves. Let's do something that's going to bring glory to us. And so they said, let us build a tower that reaches to the heavens. And this was a sign of pride. It was a sign of autonomy from God. We don't need God. We can get to heaven ourselves. We can build great things without him. Even though we know in Psalms 127.1, it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. Building something without God is a vain pursuit it might look good for a moment, but it's not going to stand the test of time, and it's not going to last, and it's not going to bring about any sort of heritage or any sort of legacy. It is a vain pursuit, and from this moment in the book of Genesis throughout the whole Old Testament Anytime Babylon is mentioned, Babylon is equated with pride. Babylon is equated with being in rebellion against God. Babylon is equated with doing what man wants to accomplish rather than trusting in what God wants to do. So yes, they were in unity, but in their unity, they were in rebellion against God. And in their unity, they were trying to make a name for mankind rather than glorify the name of God. So we pick it back up in verse 5. It says, "...the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have the same language. And this is what they began to do, and now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech." You hear God say, come, let us go down there. Again, God existing in the plural nature. He has eternally existed in the plural nature. So this is inspection time. Those of you that are contractors or work in the trades, you know that inspection time can be a nerve-wracking time. You do the work, and then the inspectors have to come and sign off on the work. And you know if it's not done right, it's going to cost you a lot of time and a lot of money to make it right and have to wait for the inspector to come out a second time. So you could be confident in your work, but when that inspector shows up, you can get nervous. Did I do it right? Are we going to pass? Well, imagine how these humans felt. They were so prideful. They thought they were building something so amazing. We're building a tower that reaches to the heavens, and then the inspector shows up. God shows up and says, I want to see what you're working on. And I can just imagine all of a sudden, all of that pride, everything they thought that was so significant, didn't seem all that amazing anymore under the watchful eye of God. And when God came to inspect. He wasn't inspecting for the building code. He wasn't looking for how well it was working or how well it was built. He was coming to inspect the condition of their hearts. And they did not pass inspection. And we see here the power of unity. God says when they are together acting as one, Nothing can stop them. Nothing would be impossible for them. That is the power of unity. And yes, that is something that we should strive for. But what they were doing was not what God was looking for. Verse 8, so the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. This is where the scattering happens. God comes and scatters them. And now, when we read this, it really leaves it open to the imagination to try to imagine how did God scatter them? Did God snap his fingers like the infinity gauntlet and all of a sudden people just were immediately transported to different places all around the known earth? Or did God just put a wandering spirit in their hearts and suddenly each family just wandered off in a different direction? Or what about at that moment... That he confused their languages and they were all speaking the same language, and suddenly, in a moment, one family tried to talk to another family and it sounded like gibberish because they were speaking different words. And just the amount of confusion that must have struck them, and then they began to move off and separate into different directions. We don't know exactly how it happened, but it's fascinating to think about. Verse 9, therefore its name was called Babel or Babylon because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth. That name Babel means confused or muddled. And so even the name Babylon of the empire means confused or muddled. And from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. But here's the thing. It was God's intention for them to scatter over the earth anyway. So the very thing that God used to punish them, the very thing He used to judge them for their sin, still accomplished His plan and His purpose. And I tell you what, this is the best thing that we could hope for, is that when we do fall into sin, and God's judgment does come, and His correction, His chastening does come upon us, that even in our punishment, God is still moving us towards His purpose and His plan. And how about this, no matter what the humans intended to do, God's plan still came to pass. The nations were still scattered. We can resist God, we can fight against His plan, but His plan will be fulfilled. It might be fulfilled because of us, or it might be fulfilled in spite of us, but His plan is going to be fulfilled. This is similar to the New Testament church in the book of Acts, right? Jesus told them, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be filled with power, and you will be my witnesses. Here in Judea and in uh, Sumeria, or first he said in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then in Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. He wanted his people to scatter with the power of the Holy Spirit and spread the gospel around the known world. But what did they do Instead. They built a church in Jerusalem, and they stayed there. And God had to bring persecution against the church of Jerusalem. And because of that persecution, we read in Acts chapter 8, that the people ran for their lives. And as they ran for their lives, they scattered out of Jerusalem. And everywhere that they went, they began to share the gospel and plant churches in the cities and nations around the known world. It's so easy for us to get comfortable. God has to show up sometimes and chasten us in order to scatter us, to move us to where he actually wanted us to be. So what we end up with is we end up with these nations that are now scattered, different languages, living in different places, establishing different cultures. And so what did God desire? Was God anti-unity? Did he not want there to be unity? No, God wants unity, but you can see in your notes what we're looking for is unity in diversity. Unity in diversity. God does not want a unity that's based on social commonality. He wants unity that's based on relationship with him. He doesn't want a unity that's just based on the fact that we all look the same and sound the same and all come from the same background. Listen, that doesn't take any work. Research has shown that we have a preference for our own ethnicity. And this has been shown through research as young as six months old. Six-month-old babies respond more positively to faces that are the same skin color as theirs and they don't even know what color their face is but yet they respond more positively so even from the time we're babies we are more comfortable around our own ethnicity why is that well there could be some survival instinct in that Because once the nations were scattered, generally if a different people group came close to you, they were coming to do war with you and to kill you and to take your land. And so we came to to fear those that were not like us through our survival instincts. But it's just easier when somebody looks like me and sounds like me and comes from the same background and understands the same things that I do. It's so much easier to feel comfortable and be in unity. But when I'm with somebody who has a heavy accent, and they come from a nation I've never been to before, and they have a culture and a background that I've never understood before, when they begin to talk, I've got to put some work in to understand them. i got to lean in. i got to listen really close. i got to find the English words in the midst of the thick accents. And not only do I have to find the English words, but I have to try to understand the culture and the mindset and the perspective that those words are coming from. And so when I'm with somebody who doesn't look like me and doesn't sound like me, it takes a lot more work to connect with them. So here's the thing. We don't have to be dependent on God to be comfortable with people who are just like us but to be in unity with people that are different than us, that requires God, and that's what God is looking for, not a unity that's based on social commonality, but a unity that's based on our relationship with Him. We come together in unity because we serve the same God, and we look different, and we sound different, and that's okay, and that's what I love about Kauai Bible Church. We have so many ethnicities in here, so many cultures, so many skin colors, so many people groups, and yet we come together to to worship in unity. Why? Because we're worshiping the same God. And it's God that is glorified in our unity, not us. So when God scattered the nations, he didn't scatter them because he's against unity. He scattered them so that he could bring them back together again. But when he would bring them back together, it would be for the glory of his name. So what did God do? He chose one man named Abraham, out of which he could bring one nation called Israel, and through that nation, he could bring together all the nations again. Listen to Isaiah chapter 2, starting in verse 1. The word which Isaiah, the son of Amaz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it will come about that in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between the nations, and will render decisions for many peoples. And they will hammer their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they learn war. He says out of the nation of Israel all the nations will come to worship me and they will come in peace and there will be no more instruments of war because there will be no more need to fight. How about this? When the Holy Spirit is at work, God's glory is declared in every language and to every ethnicity. Acts chapter 2 In the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon that original group of apostles, and they began to speak in tongues, and they were speaking in languages they did not know. And in verse 8 of Acts 2, it says this, And how is it that we each hear them in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. When the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost, God was being glorified in every nation, in every language, to every ethnicity. All of these nations were together in one place, and every one of them was hearing God glorified in their own language. That's the unity that God is looking for. And finally, God will be glorified when all ethnicities and all languages are worshiping Him together. Listen to the end times in Revelation, chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. After these things, I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and people and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. At the end times, we are going to stand together as different tribes and different nations with different languages. And yet as one people, we are going to be declaring Hosanna, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God is going to be glorified when every language is worshiping him together. God is looking for unity and diversity. God is not against unity. He's against unity that doesn't require him. But when we're together, and we're together to glorify his name, and we're trusting in God because we don't normally feel comfortable in such diversity, God is being glorified. So what's it going to take on our parts? First, we've got to rely on God. We've got to trust in him for what he's asked us to do who he's asked us to do it with, who he's asked us to surround ourselves with, where he wants us to be, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's people we don't know, even if it's a setting that we've never been in before or a culture that we don't understand. We have got to put ourselves in a place where we can rely on God so that we can be exactly where he wants us to be. The second thing is this. We need to make glorifying God our top priority. When glorifying God is our top priority, we come together in unity. When making a name for ourselves is our top priority, that's where there's division and there's fighting. And there's this separation and this hurts. But when glorifying God is more important than our comfort, when glorifying God is more important than our hurts or our wounds, when glorifying God is more important than our ambitions, we will come together in unity. It's going to require humility and forgiveness. We're going to have to humble ourselves and realize that our way isn't the only way and our culture isn't the only culture. And our language isn't the only language. And we've got to be okay being around other languages and other cultures and other people. And it's going to require forgiveness. Listen, when we look at somebody, we don't just see that person, we see everything that that person's ethnicity has done. Now, I know this is going to come as a shock to many of you to hear this right now, but you know what? I am white. And white people have done some horrible things on these islands. And so I know very well that as I live on this island, there are people who look at me and they don't see me. They see all the horrible things that white people have done. And they equate me with that. And the same thing happens on the mainland ever since 9-11. And radical Muslims attacked our nation and brought down the Twin Towers in New York. That now, when we look at somebody who looks like they're from the Middle East, we don't just see them. We see radical Muslims and all the things that radical Muslims have done in our worlds. So, when it comes to forgiveness, we don't just need to forgive the person that's in front of us, we need to forgive everything that their ethnicity has done to us. And only in that forgiveness will we find unity. It's going to require repentance on our part. Repentance of racism and discrimination. The stereotypes that we have fostered. The things that we have carried with us. Some of them are implanted into us by the families that raised us. Some of them from our own experiences with different groups and different people. But we've got to repent of that. Right? God sees a world where there is no division, there is no Jew or Gentile, but that we're all one. And we've got to repent of anything that we hold on to in our hearts that keeps us separate. And finally, we've got to be willing to listen and engage with those who are not like us. Listen and engage with those who are not like us so that we can learn and we can understand and we can find our commonality. We find it in the fact that God has brought us all together on the same journey of following Him. So, God has a call for us. We have to decide are we going to be obedient to that call and discover God's best? Or are we going to settle and try to just build what we can build with our own hands? Are we going to isolate ourselves into comfortable pockets? Or are we going to surround ourselves with a diversity that glorifies God? God scattered the nations so he could bring them back together again. And today we are a part of that coming back together. We are a part of God being glorified as we find our unity in him. Will you stand with me today?